Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of uh, Skirmish Supremacy, and apparently my co-host Nick's dog will not shut up in the background. That is totally fine. We're actually joined today by Nick Veron from, uh, uh, he's got uh, his own game out called Broken Contract that, for lack of better terms, is a, looks like a cross between a minis game, a skirmish game, and an RPG game, all, or a minis game, a board game, and an RPG game all wrapped up into one. So That sounds about right. Awesome. So... Because of the fact we've got a Nick and a Nick, when I say Nick, we're going to be talking about Nick, the guest, and when I say co, when I say co-host, I will be referring to Nick Bogart, my co-host, aka Stinky Whistleteats. So that <laughs> Ren and Stimpy, Ren and Stimpy, follow along, damn it. So that's what we're going to end up doing for this tonight, just to make every make sure that we're all on the same page. Okay. So. All right, then. So, normally I don't let Nick uh, talk or say too much, and when I say Nick, I mean my co-host, a.k.a. Stinky Whistleteats, and uh, we're going to just kind of start this off. Uh, Nick, Broken Contract. Yes. Tell us how you got it started. Let's start there. Okay. So, um, we're going to go back to uh, around 2012, and I'd started working with uh, with Hyacinth Games on their uh, uh, skirmish game Wreckage, and um, yeah, we were we were working along. At first, I was doing uh, doing some painting for them, and then helping out with playtesting. And then uh, they brought me on as a partner, and we were working on uh, development together in order to uh, um, try and get their Kickstarter out uh, to their uh, to their backers. And uh, I realized that I still had a love for game design. And uh, unfortunately, my relationship with, uh, with uh, uh, one, of, one of the guys from Hyacinth Games was, was a former roommate of mine. And um, it wasn't a good uh, roommate situation. And when we started working in a, uh, on, a, on a game together, we started to butt heads a lot. And uh, we just... It just wasn't working out. So I ended up uh, at my day job tearing my ACL, and I had all this time on my hands. And uh, I just left uh, Hyacinth Games, and I was like, you know, what am I going to do? And I was encouraged by my brother in or, in t- to uh, basically start working on my own game. And so I was like, okay, you know, this seems like a good idea. And I had a lot of recovery time ahead of me, six months of recovery. Uh, so uh, I went through my ACL surgery and uh, sat down and busted out the initial rules to broken contract over the course of a month, along with the uh, the uh, structure of the uh, background and uh, what I wanted to do long term, and uh, that was how it all kind of came together. Okay, cool. So tell us a little bit about the setting of broken contract. Uh, from everything I've seen so far. It looks uh, very dystopian, kind of, I don't want to say so much post-APOC, because it looks like civilization is still a thing. Yes. It very much has like this, that dystopian, somewhat Mad Max vibe with a bit of a Wild West twist. Yeah. You know, that, that, is, that is a really good, uh, a really good analysis. A, uh, a good reference point would be... Uh, would be the Janestown episode of uh, Firefly, if you uh, uh, are familiar enough with Firefly to know what I'm talking about. Mutter's um, Milk. Mutter's Milk, exactly. Yeah, the Mutters were indentured servants uh, that were making mud um, for a uh, corporation and were basically slaves and were uh, um, the had, had their hero of, of Janestown uh, being Jane Cobb. Now... Another good reference point would be to take a uh, um, uh, like the movie Cool Hand Luke and just stick it into space. Um, that would be a good reference point as well. But uh, really, the 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 basis of it came from, of all things, a uh, a documentary I had seen on the uh, textile industry um, in Saipan, and. Uh, this this idea that they were bringing people over to Saipan um, with the promises of a better life somewhere else and uh, essentially uh, were charging them for all of their uh, 
all of their uh, um, lodging, the the trip over from China to Saipan, and uh, all of these other things. And at the end of the day, these people that were working in the textile industry there were making no money. Their whole idea of having money to send back home to their their families, none of it. It was all a lie. And it was a, a fascinating real-life thing that I felt was a good basis for a setting. And so, you know, coming out of working on a, a post-apocalyptic game, I wanted to do something in that vein without being like Wreckage, you know, because, you know, it, you know, I'd been working on Wreckage, it was totally post-apocalyptic, and here was this, this, you know, mind frame that I was in, and I, and I, and I wanted to break away from that and have something that was engaging and um, would, I guess, you know, draw people in because it was gritty and real. And that was where I went. Nice, nice. So you got all this from a documentary. Yeah, a, a lot of it started from there. There was also a, a great book by Naomi Klein called No Logo that talked a lot about... Uh, about sweatshop labor, which is is really fascinating real life stuff. We don't want to. We I know you you said you 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 don't want to get political, so we won't, <laughs> we won't go into into too much detail about that. But there's, there's yeah. a lot of messed stuff that goes on in the world. Yeah, and you know, so stuff like that. You know, yeah, I say I don't want to get too political on it, but when it comes time to something like that where it provides context for your game, yeah. it makes perfect sense. You know, it, at that point, it's kind of like yeah, you're sending a message, yeah. but you're drawing a lot of that. You know what a lot of gamers see is grittiness from, like, real-life experience of, like, people literally just hand, being handed a, sit, a shit sandwich and expected to eat it. Exactly. Cool, cool. So tell us a little bit about the setting of Broken Contract. I mean, we, we kind of hinted at it a little bit, but uh, okay. tell us about the background, how you developed it, you know, if there was any tweaks, things okay. like that. Okay. So the, the original root story that I had come up with was this idea, because I, I, I knew that I wanted it to be kind of Wild West-ish, and so um, I had this idea of the, the breakers being these, these um, sweatshop laborers, these indentured servants, these slaves that were on the run, and them being hunted by um, uh, enforcers that, enforce the contracts that they had signed away their lives to. And so so I had this, this root idea of, of these essentially bounty hunters chasing after escaped indentured servants. And um, I needed to have a root point because it, in order for there to be these indentured servants, there had to be, you know, the, the setting in which they came from. And so I basically built up the um, idea of these mines, the, the Ferrum Sky Mines. And the Ferrum Sky Mines are on a uh, distant planet that had been colonized after Earth had been, you know, um, left in waste. Uh, and so you've got uh, these, these corporations setting up these, these various industries. And so I focused in on this Ferrum Sky Mine because... One of the thing the things that you run into with uh, with RPGs is that there's always so much of a scope. You know, that you can you have this entire world to build, this entire setting, and I wanted to just zero in on one thing. This is my starting point. And so, with all these crazy ideas floating around in my head, I essentially went in to this mind setting and just focused on that. So. Um, you have two major players in the, in the Ferrum Sky Mines. You have the Black Squadron Security, which is a security firm that keeps the workers working. Um, they're there in order to make sure that the miners get their quotas done and at the end of the day are back in their uh, um, barracks compounds and ready to start their next day and work through and make their quotas. And then the opposite end of the spectrum is this idea of these workers who have had enough. They can't stand the, their existence anymore, and they'd rather take a bullet in the back than work another day in servitude to these harsh masters. And so the two, the two principal factions are 
the Black Squadron security, and the Breakers. Okay, cool. So, the, between the Black Squadron and the Breakers, like, you know, I was kind of looking at it a little bit. So, Black Squadron is very much, they kind of have, like, your Wild West, um, I guess, prison guard kind of feel. Yes. Like, you know, if you're working out in, like, the middle of Arizona and, like, you were, you were out there, you know, serving time, like, they don't look like your typical security force that you would see in a mine. They look more like somebody that you would see guarding a jail. Correct. Nice. So I wasn't that's, wrong. That, that, that actually is, when, the, when I originally sent the first bit of art to, uh, to an artist, um, or my ideas to an artist, I actually sent them references from Cool Hand Luke, because uh, in Cool Hand Luke it is that exact like you know like you know Arizona New Mexico type of type of uh, prison setting, and uh, you've got these these workers all uh, essentially digging ditches with a bunch of guys with cowboy hats and, and sunglasses uh, watching over them. So we just kind of made them look a little more fascist and a little more uh, and a little more sci fi, but essentially that was the root imagery that we're, we're drawing from. Okay, cool. And the breakers themselves, I noticed for the most part they look just like normal people. However, you have one guy that is just freaking enormous. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the enormous guy, and there's actually one for currently a model uh, on each side for each faction that is enormous. And they are gen mods. Essentially, in, in the future... Um, You've in in the in this setting you've got these colony ships that are traveling to uh, to different planets, um, terraforming them and colonizing them in order to uh, in order to extract the resources and turn a profit. And it is a humanity in a sense is a limitless resource because you can constantly um, propagate. And so the idea was is that rather than bring a bunch of huge, costly machines across space, they instead would get to, uh, get to a planet, colonize the planet, and then use gene modification in order to essentially turn a portion of the populace into uh, basically living machines. And so the... Uh, the Gen mod trust that uh, you've seen images of um, is actually a uh, a uh, a human machine. He's basically a piece of construction equipment that is made of flesh. Nice. So they basically took a dude and turned him into a walking pork truck. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Because I just noticed that out of everything, there's this one guy that was just enormous. Yes. And I was like, okay, yeah, clearly this he, he he's eating everybody. Else's food is what's going on in the mind. <laughs> so okay, cool. So that 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 answers that. So so you you have a full world that goes outside of Broken Contract, but Broken Contract itself is focusing on this one little plot in Correct. your overall story. Okay, cool. So what made you decide to take the game in the direction it's in now, where it's not like a full-blown miniatures game, um, you didn't make like a full-on RPG setting, but you kind of have this hybrid of a board game skirmish RPG? Yeah. Yeah, es essentially, there's there's a, a number of different reasons that, that drew me in that direction. Uh, one is that uh, um, RPGs uh, have a... They're, I actually just recently started playing D&D again, but there is so much time that goes into development and setup um, just to, you know, run a, an adventure. And that seemed way too... It, it puts too much effort, I guess, on the players to actually carry it out. And so a lot of people, a lot of casual gamers prefer things like dungeon crawlers and board games and, and things of, of that nature. I also am absolutely in love with miniature games myself. So um, I actually have been, you know, I worked for Games, Work, Games Workshop for a number of years. I fell in love with Games Workshop's games because of Necromunda, um, most... Uh, 
you know, more than any of their other games. Uh, because it had this element of it that was able to appeal to my RPG interests, but with that really quick setup time um, where you could just throw a bunch of stuff on the table and play. Um, and at the same time, it, um, it had a, a grittiness that you would get from RPGs in that in an RPG, you know, somebody could get set on fire, uh, and in Necromunda, somebody could get set on fire, and they would run randomly all over the board. And it was, you know, when a, when a, when a, a character in, in Necromunda got set on fire, it was, you know, kind of hysterical because they're just running around all over the place, and it was a memorable moment. It was one of those one of those moments that they they refer to as as, as water cooler moments. Those those moments that uh, uh, you're going to remember for years and years. Uh, potentially because of the fact that it just was off the wall and it just it just sort of happened. And so I wanted to have those types of elements in a game, but I also wanted to, to reduce that barrier of entry. And so you look at uh, current games like X-Wing or Zombicide or, or um, uh, I don't know, something like Shadows of Brimstone, and you've got all of these games that have miniatures and they draw that that interest that comes with having a bunch of miniatures on the table they have uh, a, a level of um, a level of uh, of being I guess uh, of simplicity they're they're games that allow you to just jump in and play even easier than a game like Necromunda um, and so I needed to fuse that reduce that barrier of entry but still have those wild and crazy moments that you get out of an RPG. And so I blended all of these things into what I think distills down into something where you can have board game type sections where you throw those down on the table, you throw your models down on the table, you've got your uh, you've got a, a scenario that you that you read off of a, you know a single page and boom you're off and running. And so it has that narrative that can come that that you want out of an RPG, but at the same time distills down into this very simple board game type of format. Okay, cool. So you definitely want to do something a little bit more streamlined, and uh, I guess uh, something a little. Uh, I was talking to Nick about this earlier, actually. Something that's more for the muggles, you know, the people that aren't your hardcore gamers. Something that's a little bit more pick up and play friendly. Yeah, you know, th you know that that is a, a huge thing right now. Like even like you know, Age of Sigmar only has uh, you know what four pages of rules or something like that. the The idea is you want to have something that that um, reduces that barrier to entry, but at the same time gives somebody a uh, an immersive play experience. And so, rather than um, focus in on having people. Um, have to build all their scenery and 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 be immersed in the hobby aspect of it. I want people to be able to stumble into the hobby aspect while still being able to just throw down a couple of board sections, you know, some board game tiles like Zombicide, and be able to play a game and be able to focus on, oh wow, I can you know pick up uh you know pick up my opponent and throw them across the board. And um, you know, set them on fire and drug them and poison them and do all sorts of all sorts of ridiculous things. You know, do a dive roll under a closing door and all that good stuff. With, with basically have an action movie on a board game type setting. Nice. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, a lot of games are moving in that. I don't want to call them simplistic, but much more streamlined direction. Yes. So it's a, you know it's good that you're kind of sticking to the trend on that you know it's uh and recognizing it um so it it definitely it definitely helps lead towards a little bit more success and trying to reach out to stores especially in today's market but that's a little bit too much corporate talk yeah. so <laughs> tell us a little bit about how the game plays okay so, like let's say we were to start a game like walk us through like do we choose a scenario how do we choose sides okay how many so players? It, yeah um. 
Uh, one of the things that's different about Broken Contract than uh, than other skirmish games is it's actually encouraged uh, that uh, you play more than two players. You can have a perfectly enjoyable uh, two-player game, but the narrative um, actually has a uh, has more of a uh, an impact if you're playing with with multiple players. Um, usually a, a person, uh, you know, controlling like two or three characters per person, um, or even a single character per person. We've we've played Broken Contract with you know eight people playing at once and each person playing one or two characters. So uh, it it really plays well in that type of environment because of the fact that uh, you have such flexibility in what you're doing. Um, the uh, game itself. Uh, uses a point system, so it's familiar in that regard, but it's a very simple point system. You can not just create your, your force, or, or in, as uh, I refer to it, as your crew. You can... What was that? Um, so anyways, uh, you, uh, you can create your crew, um, but you can also create your individual characters. And so this allows you to uh, really really personalize the uh, the characters that you're using in the game. Um, and one of the things that's very different about Broken Contract from other uh, skirmish games is that uh, you can actually um, you knock a character prone or, or, or kill them, take them out of action. You can pilfer their equipment. Um, and so then add it onto your character and use it to make your character better or, you know, swap out uh, swap out the weapon that you've got in hand. So it's similar to, uh, you know, I guess, you know, something like a first-person shooter in, in the sense that you, you can constantly upgrade in gameplay. So, uh, so yeah, so to start a game, you uh, pick out a mission, you pick out your crew, uh, you, uh, um, you know, break up the points based upon how many people are playing, and then you sit down and you go through the setup just like you would in a scenario in any other game system. And so you get to, you uh, set up your set up your uh, models, and then you use an action point system, which is something that most of us are familiar with. Uh, in Broken Contract, most characters uh, have three actions. And the thing that makes it a little bit different, there's actually two things that make it a little bit different. One is that uh, there is a really kind of in-depth uh, selection of actions. Um, it's not overwhelming, um, but you do have, you are spoiled for choice. You can do things, like I said, you know, take a weapon off of a, a character that's down. You can grapple, you can apply restraints. Because one, one of the big things with the... Uh, Black Squadron security, most of the scenarios, they get victory points for actually restraining characters, the, uh, the breaker characters. So uh, that's a, an important uh, uh, thing that takes place in the game. So there's, there's a multitude of other actions that go beyond just shooting and hand-to-hand -hand combat and moving. Then beyond okay. that... Um, there is an initiative system that is kind of unlike any other game system that I can think of, except for Wild in the Streets, who you just talked to Chris uh, um, last week or last, last episode. Um, the initiative system in Broken Contract is actually card-driven, because when I was... Developing when I was developing Broken Contract, I tried a million different dice systems in order to try and get a uh, um, a unique initiative uh, position for each of the characters. And then I was like, "This is stupid." Rather than um, rolling dice and having roll offs and roll offs and roll offs and roll offs, it just made more sense to have a deck of cards numbered from one to however many characters are on the table, and then deal out a card to each of the characters, and that's the initiative order that they go in. And so this creates an alternating um, initiative order that changes every single turn, so you never know when a character is going to go until the start of the turn. Gotcha. So in a way, it makes it a little bit... A little, it makes it chaotic, but at the same time... Um, you have to still somewhat plan ahead for what's what's going to happen really for each individual character. Exactly. I also like the fact that 
because you said you get to look at the cards once you get them, right? Yes. So so you can, even at the beginning of your turn, you can start strategizing a little bit. You know, so-and-so's going to go, and, you know, these people are going to go, so this is what they can do. Yes. Yeah, and, and the, other, the other thing is that there are actions and there are interruptions. So if you your character is... You know, let's say you you draw the fir, uh, the first initiative card. You can, if you see a, a circumstance where you want to uh, to uh, to be in a better position to defend yourself or whatever, you can save action points to use towards interruptions. So that way, you're you're never necessarily left in a lurch. That there's a slight gamble to it because you could save your action points for interruptions and then your opponent ignores your character and then you don't get to use your interruptions. So there's this constant give and take. All right. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Tim had to step away <laughs> for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, my kids were loud, so. <clears throat> All right, so given to you said more than two players, you uh, is optimal for playing the game. Yeah, you know it, it's it's one of the it's one of those things where um, you when you're when you're playing a uh, a skirmish game, uh, we'll 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 talk about you know you know Necromunda or. Uh, you know, something like, you know, Wild West Exodus or a game like that, because you've got one car- one person playing their faction, their crew, their army, and the other person playing theirs, the the individual the individuality of the different characters gets lost. And so you kinda lose a certain level of personality that goes with each of the characters that you've created. So by playing with multiple players, you actually inject a certain level of personality into the characters that, are, that you're playing, and it makes the game more dynamic and more diverse. You could be playing on the same side, and um, particularly um, one of the things that's... that's um, um, uh, figures in Broken Contract is that all of the breakers are not necessarily um, have the same intentions. Um, there are breakers that have the uh, keyword progen, which is a progenitor uh, um, character that uh, is somebody that was part of the original wave of colonists on uh, the the planet Hathor, where Ferrum Scott the Ferrum Sky mines are 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 placed. So you've got characters that have their own agendas. Um, there are criminals, because there's going to be a criminal element that takes place um, within the mines, because there's whenever you've got people that are strictly controlled, there are going to be those that are going to buck the system in order to try and get contraband, you know, drugs, um, uh, you know, stolen rations, what have you. There's, there's always going to be somebody that's trying to take advantage of, of, of the environment. And so within Broken Contract um, and within the Breakers or even the Black Squadron security, there are going to be those characters that have, um, have um, I guess, motivations that go beyond just the, the, um, the scenario, I guess you could say. Uh, uh-huh. So in, in that sense... Uh, by having these keywords that go along with different characters, different scenarios can then have objectives that are specific to those characters and to those keywords, creating an element where you can have two people that are playing as breakers, and one person is trying to achieve the core objectives that all the breakers are trying to achieve, and then you can have one person who is playing the criminals or the progens, and they are breakers. They are trying to get past Black Squadron security, but they might be trying to achieve an objective that is different than the rest of the breakers. So you can have this this element where the characters take on additional personality because they're 
they're working together, but also trying to achieve things that are different from one another. Right, so it kind of creates a game within a game. Correct. Awesome. Yeah, that definitely adds another layer of depth and challenge, too. So I know that uh, you've mentioned that it can be played with multiple people. What do, what do you feel is, like, the ideal maximum amount of players that can be, uh, that can um, participate without it dragging on too much? Yeah, at, at eight players, because we've played up to eight players, <laughs> at eight players it, it, it bogs down. Um, but really, the anywhere from from two to like six players, it can can still go at a good pace. Because a lot of people um, at Adepticon describe, described it to me as a micro-skirmish game, uh, because really this, the sweet spot um, is three to five models per side, or three to six models per side, and so when you've got, you know, eight models on the on the table, you know, no more than like ten models on the table, you can split that up pretty well between you know two to six people, and each character is only getting you know three three actions per character, so it really it doesn't slow it down too much. It's not like um, really when. When I think of like the standard 2,000 point game of 40k, to me that is a game that is bogged down. I have to sit there and wait 20 minutes for my opponent to complete their turn, unless it's one of these you know tur tournament guys that's so amped up on it that they're like shaking while they're playing because they're trying to get their orcs across the table as fast as they possibly can. If you're not playing with a person like that, you're you're basically kind of sitting and spectating for, you know, these great lengths of time, whereas with Broken Contract, you know, especially with this action and interruption system, you're you're really, even with, you know, six people, you're jumping from person to person to person very rapidly, and so it moves along. Right, awesome. especially when you have that, like, alternating and kind of it, that random but still somewhat planned initiative set up yeah. Like, you're never really out of the action. Correct. Yeah, and I definitely like that a lot more. That, you know, not to kick 40K in the dick at all, because I know that it's still the most popular game on the planet, it, but that is one of the things that bogs me down, is when I feel that in the middle of a war game where I'm supposed to be paying attention to what my opponent is doing, so that way I can, you know, you know lessen my losses and, you know, try to win the game, the moment that I feel that I should be able to pull, that I can pull out my cell phone and Facebook or something along those yeah. lines, like, I, I'm immediately removed from the game. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and for, for me, like, I, I was running a, uh, running a uh, event at Adepticon uh, um, a couple of years in a row before, uh, before I um, moved over to uh, doing my own game. And so, just didn't have the time to to run this event at Adepticon anymore. Um, it was a uh, a forty k tournament that was based around a thousand points. Uh, had a sidebar, and you you had this uh, um, uh, constantly changing each game you played on a different table. And the reason why I did an event like that was because of the fact that I wanted to be able to have people come, and their turns went by rapidly. They got a constantly different experience, and they were engaged instead of falling asleep at the, at their table, especially if they got a bad matchup. And so, you know, for for me, it was it was really imperative when I developed my own game was to have this this you know constant engagement, so people aren't just sitting and waiting for the next thing to happen. So, yeah, and that definitely changes the dynamic of any game. Yeah, and I, I I will I'm going on record for for me 40k the sweet spot is between a thousand and fifteen hundred points anything over that and it's just too much but that's me <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioned that not to uh, get off topic but I played a, a couple of games of Age of Sigmar this last weekend and even though they just added points into the game and I know the rules are streamlined and yada yada the fact that it's like I still got to move eighty different models across the table and they all have like yep. I have to roll to run. I have to roll to charge. It's like you roll to do everything, and I was just like, into turn two, I checked out. Yeah. You know, love the models. I love the concept of everything that they're doing with Age of Sigmar. The game itself, I'm still like, oh, Jesus Christ, why did I do it? 
I'm so glad I only bought the starter box. You shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> I, I I honestly still haven't played Age of Sigmar, but I'm I'm am still curious about it. It's something that I that I'd like to try. One of the one of the disadvantages of having moved to Milwaukee is that uh, I had to find a whole new uh, circle of people to game with, and so uh, my my uh, I guess for I haven't played a game of 40k since I moved to Milwaukee. So that kind of gives you a, a sense of a sense of. Uh, it's not that there's not 40k players here. There's plenty of them. It's just that living in the city and the people that I game with are mostly board gamers and people that play, um, you know, smaller skirmish games, and that's about it. Right. And you're in with a good crowd. Trust me on that. I won't <laughs> names coming from Milwaukee, but you're in a good crowd. Very good. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you you did a Kickstarter for Broken Contract. Obviously, that's how most games get started nowadays. You know, yep. Unless you're going to go straight ballsy and fund it out of your own pocket, which almost never happens. Um, how long ago did you end up finishing up? Okay. So the Kickstarter ended um, in uh, April of last year. So not okay. this past April, but the year before that. And, um, yeah, it was it was a successful Kickstarter, but all the the whole goal of the Kickstarter was just to get the two factions out. Right. Uh, so all that Kickstarter did was allow me to get uh, the breakers and uh, a selection of models for the breakers and the Black Squadron security. And part of the reason why I did it that way was one, um, I had actually previously tried to do a Kickstarter the year before that, and the Kickstarter was you know um, I can't remember if it, if it was set for twenty or twenty four thousand um, dollars. It was, uh, you know, trying to put it out in, like, a board game format. Um, I also didn't know as much about Kickstarter back then. And so I went in, and I was like, this is, you know, I need to, I need to make this happen. This is, this is the amount of money that I need in order to, to, to do this, and let's see what happens. And, of course, within, <laughs> within you know, two weeks, I took the Kickstarter down and was, you know, heartbroken and shattered. Because that's how these things go, especially when it's you know a passion project, something that that means so much to you. But the 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 thing that I learned from it is that especially with a, uh, a approaching the game industry from uh, being in the position of being the new guy on the block, the the completely untested um, and and no uh, no history that that the the, the world around you knows, unfortunately, people, you know, obviously don't want to take a chance, especially with the amount of Kickstarters that have failed um, to uh, produce goods, especially ones that were run by by people that seemed, you know, legit. So here I am, I'm running this $20,000 Kickstarter, and, and, you know, there are people that are that are interested, but, you know, it, people aren't, aren't Aren't taking the bait, and and I totally understand. I I I, I felt felt <laughs> I I've been in that exact position looking at other Kickstarters, but at the same time I knew what I needed, and I couldn't couldn't settle for less. And it failed. So I regrouped, and I was like, okay, so I the majority of my investment so far, financial investment has gone into these models. And so, looking at, I don't know if you've ever looked at, uh, there's Stonemeyer Games has done a huge, like, over a hundred different articles on running game-related Kickstarters. And one of the things that they focused on in, in a number of their, their articles was something called um, the Minimum Viable Product. And so... After looking at this idea of minimum viable product, you know what it, if I distill what I'm working on down to, to its components, what is the thing that I have invested the most money into that is something that is saleable even if people don't play the game? And that is the models. There are going to be some people that want the models for their post-apocalyptic game or you know this game or that game. 
for example, uh, one of the guys that uh, is painting up uh, painting up a bunch of uh, a bunch of Black Squadron security right now, uh, this guy who does Worlds in Conflict blog, Jay Griffiths, he's painting up uh, my Black Squadron security in order to use them not just in Broken Contract but also to use them in This Is Not a Test, and I think that's fantastic, and that is part of the reason why I you know, did this Kickstarter last year was to get those models out to the world so that people can, you know, get their first taste of the broken contract setting um, and at the same time have something that they can, you know, paint up or play with in another game system or whatever and I can recoup some of the investment that I've put in in order to do more development. And so the, the Kickstarter raised a little over four grand um, I got all the models done. I also used used that money in order to produce the uh, cards that each of the models uses in the game. Uh, because uh, in Broken Contract, there are uh, character cards to uh, keep track of your stats. There are equipment cards so that when you uh, um, when you're uh, playing the game, you have all of the uh, uh, important information for the equipment that you're using right in front of you. Uh, and if you if your character you know steals equipment off another character, you just take the card and you put it on on your dashboard. So that way you can constantly uh, have that stuff in front of you. And so um, the ultimate thing that I accomplished with that Kickstarter was to get those models out, but also all of the cards needed to play with those models in Broken Contract once the rules are out. There are there is a PDF of the playtest rules that uh, has been, you know, constantly updated over the last uh over the last uh, 2 years of development, but uh but uh the finalized concrete rule book is not out yet, and that is something that is going to be the next Kickstarter that uh I am pushing towards. Nice. And when could we expect to see that one go live? Um Hopefully, my goal was to uh, shoot for August, September. So this month or next month is hopefully the the target. Uh, I've got uh, um, uh, the uh, the current uh, edition of the rulebook. The current uh, the current beta is uh, um, being, I guess, uh, cobbled together right now. I actually. Uh, have the old the uh, last edition of the rules and uh, since the uh, last edition of the rules I added a new uh, better character creation system better crew uh, creation system uh, added uh, campaign rules some new uh, some new scenarios and so all of that stuff is being added in um, needs to go through editing and all of that good stuff so uh, as soon as I have that uh, um, uh, complete it will go to uh, my uh, my um, graphic design guy, uh, Sam Alcarez, and uh, uh, he will uh, get it all uh, all laid out, and we'll uh, send it for uh, copy editing. So that's that's where that's at. So things things should happen pretty rapidly now. Yeah, definitely keep us up to date on that too, because I'm quite cer- certain that a lot of the listeners that we have would want to know exactly when that's going to pop up. So. You know, Very good. Definitely make sure that uh, even on the Skirmish Supremacy page, if you need to send us info or you want to post it yourself, go ahead and do it. All right. Sounds good. Cool, cool. So we've covered how the game plays. Um, we've covered the world itself. We've covered a little bit about your background. I know you said that you used to work for Games Workshop. Yes. You know, I, I know we talk a lot about skirmish games, but people still are very interested in like how the big boy in the industry acts so tell us a little bit about your time and uh, some of the stuff that you noticed while you were working there. Okay. Yeah, well, Games Workshop gave me a fantastic education. Um, and I know a lot of people complain about Games Workshop and have a lot of terrible things to say about their business practices and XYZ, uh, their rules development, yada, yada. Uh, and even their even you know the 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 retail their retail sales techniques. As somebody that worked in Games Workshop retail, and before I worked in Games Workshop retail, I owned my own gaming store. And it was one of those things where I thought I knew everything when I walked into working for Games Workshop, and then realized that I was an idiot and didn't know anything about anything having to do with selling games. 
it was a, as I said, a fantastic education because Games Workshop, um, for all of their their um, frust frustrations that they cause they cause people, they actually they are somewhat meticulous in how they approach things. Like as far as like any other company that I have worked for. Games Workshop, um, unlike any other company, they immediately, once I started working for them, they flew me to Baltimore in order to get me, uh, get me training. They then flew me out when I, when I uh, was going to be the assistant manager of the store. They flew me out again in order to give me more training. They flew me out again to Baltimore when I became a manager for Games Workshop. Um, they were constantly... Uh, doing you know managers meetings and, and and managers conferences and were were constantly I guess engaged in trying to make us the best that we could be and to think about how we handled retail and selling games and one of the one of the big things that that they really understood was how to sell their own games because as i uh you know mentioned in a, in one of our little little asides um before we uh before we started the interview is that when i worked for game worked for games workshop um their approach was to use the retail chain as their marketing and this was something that actually worked out fantastically because somebody comes into a games workshop store and yeah I know the the red shirts they're all up in your grill and they're asking you about stuff and it can be off-putting but when you're a 12 year old kid and you walk into that store and you see all these you know space marines and dragons and wood elves and all this stuff in front of you and your eyes are popping out of your head and this guy comes up and or this guy or girl comes up and starts talking to you about the worlds of games workshop it goes from being something that you're looking at to something that you are now quickly becoming a part of and the more they engage you and the the that moment of getting you into the demo game getting through the demo game being pumped on on what you just what you just did them taking the box the core box and dropping it into your hands and feeling the weight there was so much to how they handled their sales that is it's it's unlike any other way of because a lot of us now you know people buy stuff online if if I tell you somebody that's listening to Skirmish Supremacy podcast right now, they might hear me talking about Broken Contract, and they might think this sounds really cool. Um, I, th I think this is a game that I'm going to look into, and they'll poke around on my blog, and they'll poke around on my Facebook page, and it might suck them in. It might not. When you actually play the game, you're hearing the stuff firsthand. The models are in your hand. Somebody has set them in your hand. It is way harder to resist because you have everything at your fingertips. You've got somebody to answer the questions. You've got the models in hand. Everything is right there. And Games Workshop knew this. And this is how they brought so many people into the world of miniature wargaming. And I think that even with the the you know the incredible IP of you know of of Star Wars games like like um, you know X-wing and Imperial Assault they they would sell well but I think that that Games Workshop really paved the way for a lot of these other other games because of the fact that they've already indoctrinated people many people into the idea of playing a miniatures game. And I think that is something that Games Workshop just did fantastically well. Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot to be said. And, you know, as much as we've talked about supporting your local stores and whatnot, there's a lot to be said about the fact that when you look at something online, 
you know, you're you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, that would be cool. But the moment that somebody is interacting with you, telling you how cool it is, and physically putting that product in your hand, like it, it pretty much takes away any notion of no that you would have. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to purchase this because now they're like staring right at you, going, "Are you going to walk to the register now?" So, yeah, well, you know, you know, but it's but it's, it's one of those things because I mean. As somebody that that did it for three years, there was that you know there were plenty of people that said no, but there were those people if if it grabbed them, if it was one of those things where they they had the disposable income and they were looking at it and their eyes were popping out of their heads and they had it in their hands, they would ask they would ask their questions. You would be able to answer them because you're knowledgeable on the product, and then they would walk away with it. And it it was. It was an ace way of, of handling things, and and now with broken contract, I, I can see it. You know, there are a lot of people that that you know look at the the Facebook page and look at uh, look at my uh, store envy, um, you know, which is my online store, and they look at and you know, there's there's traffic, there's, but it's nothing like when I was at Adepticon and you know with my games workshop training and having two other people that were were helping me out at Adepticon who also were former employees of games workshop that had worked for me it's like people would would walk away and they were amped on broken contract and you know a lot of that comes from actually engaging with it playing it seeing it holding it and that is that is something that that the internet cannot do the one thing that that it can do, um, you know, podcasts are a great way of of, of um, you know hyping things that you're excited about and getting other people excited about. But one of the things that that I think is has been a fantastic development as well are vlogs like uh, Gorilla Miniature Games um, on YouTube. It's like it is the closest you're going to get to having that experience of playing a game on the internet. So yes, that's very true. You know, that's uh, actually it's funny you mentioned that because that's something that Nick and I were actually talking about a little bit, you know, a while back, and something that we're gonna try to start doing since uh, you know, I just started putting everything out on YouTube as well. But yeah, it, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's funny because I, you know I know this, and you know I I feel very strongly about that. Yet you know I haven't created my own. Um, you know, broken contract YouTube content. Um, part of it because of of you know having my my hands in too many projects, but also a, a sense of you know being camera shy and what have you. I when I was making the videos for uh, for the the broken contract Kickstarter, I made so many videos that were not used because of my you know let's say you know I'm saying um a lot or I'm there's all of these elements, you know, seeing my face and thinking, "Wow, I look kind of stupid." You know, there's there's all these barriers that 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 you know prevent you from from you know going the uh, the video route. But you know, in in all honesty, it's like you know, I it's something that I know that I personally need to pursue more of in order to get more people interested and more people engaged because obviously I can't go. To you know, a hundred conventions a year or anything like that. It's like Gen Con is this weekend, and it was just out of my budget. It was just something that I couldn't do. And so I was actually, Chris Kohler uh, from Wild in the Streets uh, just just asked me today about uh, maybe you know sharing a booth next year, with in order to make it more affordable for guys like us who have these you know small game companies that have zero budget to work with. Right, and it makes total sense to do that, especially mm -hmm. with the uh, whole Genicon priority thing. But you know, we could go on and on and on about how that screws a little guy. We just won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, we only got a couple minutes left of this. We try to keep it within the hour, but uh, yeah, I that we could end up talking and talking and talking. Yeah, as, as, I think you've picked up on I I I, I can go. <laughs> hey, that's totally fine. You're, you're like the perfect guest for us on that because of the fact that we try to. Especially when we're talking about your products, we try to let you drive the excitement. You know, Nick and I could sit back and talk about it, but it's better when people hear it from you. Indeed. So, that is definitely a big thing. So tell us, for the last couple of minutes, where can people find you? Uh, plug any Twitter, Instagram, anything else you got. Okay. So uh, there are a lot of ways to find me. 
So, typing broken contract game into Google is the quickest way to find me, because if you type broken contract game into Google, you're going to find a bunch of different stuff. You're going to find the blog. Um, I've got a game design blog uh, where I've been documenting broken contract from the very beginning. Uh, there's posts that go back all the way to... Uh, all the way to uh, you know three years ago when when I first started the project, you can see the the early concept art. If you if you click all the way back and be like, you know the, you know they've come a long way. Um, but uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that that you can look at. One of the one of the great things on the blog is that uh, if you are somebody that likes to make terrain, one of my side loves is making terrain, and so I've done several series on uh, how to make mine scenery for Broken Contract, and so that's something that's worth going back and digging through some of the old posts in order to, uh, in order to look at. Um, if you're into uh, design philosophy, also finding out, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what uh, new things I'm working on, all that stuff is, appears in the blog. But of course, the blog format is, is, is more picture and word heavy than looking at uh, either the Instagram, the Twitter, or the YouTube, or not YouTube, the uh, um, Facebook. Uh, everything that I do um, during, the, uh, during the week, I guess, anything that is, that is photo worthy usually ends up either on Instagram or Facebook or both. Um, so broken underscore uh, contract is the uh, is the Instagram, uh, Facebook. Just look for uh, broken contract on Facebook, and it'll pop up. And then uh, Twitter, uh, I've I've got a broken contract Twitter. It is just broken contract on Twitter, uh, and uh, that one gets the the least love because Twitter is just kind of weird. I don't know. Uh, but uh, those I'm those I'm not a fan of Twitter either. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I let it's, Nick I, do it all. Some people love it. I, I just it's never grabbed me. I, I don't know. So, but uh, yeah, it as as I uh, as we discussed, I've got uh, plans for a, uh, a a Kickstarter for the the current edition of the rules or the the upcoming upcoming edition of the rules in a hard hard uh, format. I shouldn't say <laughs> I shouldn't say hard hard copy or whatever because it'll actually be a, a soft cover book but uh, you know what I'm trying to say and so so the, there will be a, a Kickstarter for the for the rules there will probably be some new models and what have you attached to that Kickstarter uh, depending on what type of money I raise uh, but uh, I also want to do a, a quick plug you uh, if you go to the uh, broken contract uh, uh, Facebook or the design blog, you're gonna start to see some stuff about a card game that uh, my partner Lisa and I are working on called Troublemakers, which is a uh, uh, a, uh, a game about uh, subcultural currency and uh, trying to be the coolest of the cool, and so that is a uh, another project that you'll see a bunch of uh, a bunch of design. Uh, design blog posts about over the coming months as well as we push towards getting that out and into the world. Nice, nice. So you are definitely all over the place and you are definitely still going with much more than just broken contract. Like you didn't say this is it and we're done, which is definitely... Yeah, no. No, and I, I think that's that's an important thing. You know, I... Broken Contract is is my baby. It was the the you know the first game that I conceived and actually developed to a point of being able to uh, to uh, you know bring to market. Uh, but uh, the the fact of the matter is is that game companies, the best game companies, have a variety of products that uh, that are desirable to a, a diverse array of gamers and not everybody wants to play a uh, in-depth miniature game some people want to play a, a simple card game just to warm up before they jump into something a little heavier uh, while they're waiting for the rest of their gamers to show up or what have you and so I want to be able to have a uh, a diverse uh, a diverse portfo portfolio of games that uh, people can draw from and enjoy nice nice well, co-host Nick, is there anything else you'd like to throw in there before we head out for the night? 
Uh, no, I just want to say, Nick, it's been great having another Nick on the show. It's made <laughs> him actually be nice when he's saying Nick. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it, 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 not nice to this guy. Yeah, yeah, it happens. But I, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on on the show. I hope hope that I can can do it again um, because uh, I, I really it, it is so important uh, to small companies like mine uh, and uh, uh, you know others like you know Chris that uh, Wild in the Streets that you, that you interviewed. It, it is so important for for the, the the little guy to get the attention that. Uh, podcasts like yours are drawing to their games and to their companies, I, and I, I can't... Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.